0: I want to talk about uh, an authentic, life-transforming community. This is the community we are. We've been talking about that over the last few weeks, but I want to draw your attention to the fact that if we are a life trans- an authentic, life-transforming community, um, we are a spiritual community. A life-transforming, an authentic, life-transforming community is a spiritual community. So it's not um, a sports club. We don't hear, um, we're going to get excited about sports. We don't just jump up and down and get ra- raving mad about sports. It's not a Greenies Club. We're not out here saving whales. We're not thinking about the whales or the poor sa- seals that are getting clubbed to death. Dad. I mean, that's an important issue. E- ecology is an important issue, but we're not, we're not here. That's not our primary focus. It's a spiritual community. This is not um, a-, a place where we're actually even thinking about society's great. Uh, needs although that's some of the things that we do we think about the needs of society in the poor in society in the broken in society and we try and do something about that that's not our central goal and that's not our central focus we're not a beneficiary a community of people which are, are thinking about how we can actually meet the needs of the poor we are a spiritual community and we're a spiritual community because because god is spirit god is spirit in John chapter four twenty four, it says, God is spirit and those that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. So this makes this place a spiritual community because we meet with God here. God is here. He is here by his spirit and we're meeting with God by his spirit. And this makes this community a spiritual community. It's different to any other com- community in this uh, society in which we live. It has no other premise apart from the fact that we are meeting with God and God is meeting with us. It sounds a bit kooky, doesn't it? But that's the nature of our life, authentic life transforming community. So, the work of God is a spiritual work. Um, In the first century, they were aware that. God was involved in their presence. They were aware that God was doing a work in their their things. And in Acts chapter 15, you can remember, they they all came together and they had a problem because uh, there were some Gentile people who were getting saved and getting miracles and happening to them and getting filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Jewish church came together to to debate the question about whether the Gentiles, which were non-Jewish people, when they were coming into the church, needed to go through the rituals and the rites of the Jewish people, like the men needed to get circumcised and they had to keep the whole law and they debated and they discussed that and they they argued about it at a a conference that they had or a council that they had in in Acts chapter 15 and and at the end of it uh, after they had done all their talking um, James stood up and it said and he said these words "It, it seems good to us and to the Holy Spirit and then he gave them the ruling So they recognized that God was in the place, God was in the meeting with them, that they could talk and say what they wanted to talk about, but that God was there also and God was going to say what he wanted to say and they were listening to him as well. So that was a spiritual community. It wasn't just a human community with human discussion on human issues. It was a community that interfaced with God and God interfaced with them and they came up with a solution for the problem. They came up with a solution with a problem from discussing it amongst themselves and from listening to the Spirit of God and so when James said this is what's going to happen he says it seems good to us the Holy Spirit and to us he he had listened they had listened to what the Holy Spirit had said so uh, there was a a consciousness of the divine person among them Uh, and for this to be an authentic life-changing community we've got to have a consciousness of the divine person with us like we've got to have the sense that God is here with us right now Right now, he's here with us. And we've got to have that sense that he's here. And when he speaks to us, if we're going to be authentic we're going to actually listen to him when he talks to us you know authenticity is bound up in the fact of you being real so you're not putting on a facade here and pretending to be christian here not trying to to do a thing and look like you you know got the power for the hour and all this sort of stuff you know trying to strut your stuff here. you're being real and god is present here and he's real here too you know and when he speaks to you you listen to him and you obey him and life transformation takes place when you hear what he says and you obey what he says you do what he says you'll learn the truth you'll know the truth because the Holy Spirit will teach you the truth actually I'm talking to you now it's a kind of strange thing I'm talking to you but God's talking to you as well I'm not God but God is using my words he's using his words and he's communicating his message into your heart and your heart will testify that God is speaking to you he's here you'll feel it it'll feel, you'll feel a strange awareness that some of the things that we talk about today will kind of excite something in the side of you and you'll sense that somehow God is speaking to you not Mark god he 's here with us, and so our community is premised on his work if you If you go back to First Corinthians chapter twelve, verses twelve to thirteen, we read these words: For as the body is one, and as many members and it has many members, but all the members are one body, being many are one body, as also is Christ, for by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks whether slaves or free, it didn't matter what nationality they were, we could say whether Afghan or Hindu, or it didn't matter, they they were all brought into the body by the one Spirit, the one Holy Spirit baptised them into the church. And it didn't matter what social strata they came from, they can come from the top end of town or they could come from the lower end of town, it didn't matter where they come, they were slaves or free, it didn't matter. The Holy Spirit took them all and made them one. So the Holy Spirit was at work in their midst, not just being present with them, but he actually drew, drew them all together and put them in one body together. And he's here right now in this place. Because when we come together, the Holy Spirit comes with us and he is here right now in this place. The Holy Spirit pervades the whole Bible. If you go through the Old Testament, just about every book in the Old Testament has got some sort of reference to the Holy Spirit in it. I think there's a couple that don't have. And in the New Testament, there's only, I think, three books in the New Testament that don't refer to the Holy Spirit. And that's the book of uh, Philemon and 2nd and 3rd John. And they're very brief letters. I think they're about you know a page in your Bible. So they don't actually refer to the Holy Spirit. But every other book talks about the Holy Spirit. And when Jesus came, we're told in Acts chapter 10 verse 38 that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power and went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil and God was with him. We're told that he came in the power of the Holy Spirit. He was anointed by the Holy Spirit. We're starting a a, a series, if you like, today on Isaiah 61 And the first verse of Isaiah 61, we'll follow this theme through to the end of the year, but the first verse of Isaiah 61 says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives, and the opening of prison to those who are bound. The focus point is here, is that the Holy Spirit actually was involved in the whole coming of Jesus. That Jesus didn't come as a man to do the, the thing. He wasn't just a good man doing good things here. He came born on the, on the breath of it, was anointed by the Holy Spirit to do the work that God wanted him to do by the Holy Spirit. And everywhere that you find in Scripture, the Holy Spirit starts to speak. He's not talking about himself and saying, look at me, I'm the one, I'm the one with the power. The Holy Spirit always glorifies Jesus. He always points back to Jesus and says, you know, look at Jesus. Listen to what Jesus is saying. And in John chapter 15, verse 26, it says, When the counsellor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. The counsellor that he's talking about, the one who comes alongside, the one who lives within us, the one who is with us now, the one who is present in this meeting, is called the Holy Spirit. And he is testifying about Jesus he's telling you about Jesus what Jesus can do for you in John chapter 16 verses 13 to 14 we read these words but when he the spirit of truth comes he will guide you into all truth he will not speak on his own but he will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come I don't know how many times we're, in this place we've preached sermons and we've seen those sermons being prophetic sermons whereby I'll preach a sermon on a, on, a, on a particular thing and I'll make some statements and then we'll see in the next couple of weeks those things just take place. It's just like, it's like a prophetic, it's, it just happens. That's not Mark being smart. It's not Mark having a sense of, oh, okay, he's got such power. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I flat, I'm flat out knowing whether I'm going to get through the end of this sermon. I don't have any eyes on into the future. I'm not a seer that sees into the future. If there's anything that comes out of my mouth that could be prophetic, that could talk about something, it's not because it's coming out of my head. It's coming from the Spirit of God who wants to tell you what is to come. It's not me. It's God. God will actually do that. Sometimes I remember I talked about shaking, how we were going to enter into a great time of shaking, and that was in December on the 12th. And a couple of weeks, two weeks later, this whole region went under the floods. With no, one, no one expected it, no one even saw it, but I, I warned this congregation that this was going to be a time of shaking, a shaking that we'd never seen before. And two weeks later, we had the floods come through here. God speaks to us, he lets us know what is to come, the Holy Spirit, he says that. And he will bring glory to, to Jesus and he'll take what is uh, from Jesus and he'll make it known to us. And so there's this whole point that we're not to be sitting here in the dark, ignorant of what's going on. God doesn't want us to be ignorant. He wants us to have some certainty about life. And the reason why he wants us to have certainty about life, he doesn't want to be groping in the dark, feeling like we're hopeless. He wants us to know some certain things. And when he gives us his Holy Spirit, he gives us that certainty because the Holy Spirit is going to communicate with certainty certainty to us and we are going to hear him and he's going to speak to us about that. So the Holy Spirit is a person. It's not just a force or an emanation that comes from God. Like if you talk about the Holy Spirit, what are we talking about? Something like electricity, something like light that beams out of the sun and you know, they stand in the sunlight. You know, the Holy Spirit is like the light that shines out of the sun. You know, is it like the power that comes through a socket in the wall, like some sort of emanating force? A lot of religious, a lot of cults believe that that's all the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is just some sort of force and some sort of power that comes on you. You know, like when the Holy Spirit hits you, you won't be able to stand on your feet. You know, that's not what the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is not some sort of emanating power or some light force or something like that. The Holy Spirit is a person. He's a spiritual person. You know, we live in a world where there are spirits and demons. We live in a world where there's God and there's a devil. We live in a world where there's a a world around us which we cannot see. We believe that. The world doesn't believe that, but we believe that and know that it's true. We live in a world where God is a spirit and God interfaces with it by His spirit, the Holy Spirit, who is a person, and He can be lied to. You can't lie to electricity. You can't lie to lie to the light that shines from the sun. But you can lie to a person. You can act to deceive a person. A person has to have a mind to be deceived. <laughs> listen to what it says in Acts, it says in Acts chapter 5 and this is the instant where, remember there's a lovely little church blooming away there in, in, in Jerusalem, this is where the church first began and the church is reaching great heights and it's a very popular place there's lots of people adding themselves to it and people have this wonderful spirit of generosity where they're selling extra pieces of land and extra homes that they've got, they're bringing the money into the, into the church and they're giving it to the apostles who were the, the pastors of the church and they, they were dis, dis, uh, dispersing all of that money to the people who were poor, so that was a, like a, a real beautiful thing happening there well this couple had a bit of land and it was theirs and they thought well we'll give only a part of it but we'll tell them giving the whole lot no one else would know but they agreed to deceive Peter and to deceive the church and to deceive the Holy Spirit who was resident in that place by telling them that they were going to give the whole lot rather than just give part of it they could have just given part and that was all but they just wanted to be big in front of people listen to what was said he says there then Peter said, Ananias, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit? Or well, where was the Holy Spirit? He was present with them, in the meeting with them. So when they were gathering together, there's probably a whole crowd of people just like us gathering together. And they couldn't see the Holy Spirit, but he was there with them. And when they came up to, when these couple came up to give their gift and they lied about how much they were giving, Peter was told by the Holy Spirit, who knows everything, that they're lying. And so Peter says, Why has Satan so filled your heart that you would lie to the Holy Spirit? You're lying to God now. And have kept for yourself some of the money that you received from the land. And then in verse 4, it says this. It says, didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to man, but you have lied to God. So what you have in those two verses is an amazing statement. You've got the Holy Spirit is a person it can be lied to. The Holy Spirit is God. Okay, so God is present here, the Holy Spirit is present here. Listen to what it says in the next verse. He says, in Acts chapter 5 verse 9, He says, And Peter said to her, and this is his wife, because he dropped down and died, because his wife wasn't there, she came in, and he says, Come here, love. He said, Tell me, the money that you got for the land, was it this amount? Now, she could have told the truth at that point of time, but she had already decided with her husband to lie. And she said the same lie again. And Peter says, well, you know, the same thing that happened to your husband is going to happen to you now. Listen to what he said. And Peter said to her, how could you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Now, I want you to just notice something there. You've got a little thing happening in that little account that is just amazing. The Holy Spirit is a person who can be lied to. The Holy Spirit is God, and the Holy Spirit is also the spirit of Jesus. You got that? It's kind of kooky, hey? Jesus is the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is God. God is Jesus, Jesus is God. God is the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is Jesus, Jesus is the Holy Spirit. It's all mixed up, hey? stop! Mixed up. mixed up because my thing's turning off and on. <laughs> it's all mixed up because it's called the Trinity. They're all three and they're all one. Now listen to what it says in Acts. And this is in Acts when, when Paul is he's saying when they came he's going on his missionary journeys he said when they came to the border of mysia they tried to enter bithynia and the spirit of jesus would not allow them to go that's the holy spirit so the holy spirit is jesus spirit jesus spirit is god's spirit god's spirit is the holy spirit the holy spirit is jesus spirit you see it's all connected you can't divide them and they're not the same they're all different they're all the same and God is here in this place. Jesus is here in this place. The Holy Spirit is here in this place right now. Right now. Jesus said, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. That's a very profound truth. He's here with us today. We don't have to call Him down. We don't have to make it right for him to come down. He came in when we walked in. He's here with us right now. <clears throat> the Holy Spirit is central to our life, our spiritual life and to our church life. He's central. He's the center of it all. Let me show you how. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14, we know that the work that Jesus did on the cross when he shed his blood on the cross from our sins was done by the eternal spirit, because it says in, in Hebrews chapter nine four and how much more then will the blood of Christ, who, through the eternal spirit, offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death to serve a living God? We can serve God because our conscience has been cleansed from dead works to serve him, but the cleansing took place by the blood of Jesus, and that took place because the eternal spirit accomplished that in Jesus. He was there helping Jesus. He was there anointing Jesus. He was there strengthening Jesus. He was there working with Jesus to help Jesus to go through the whole of the thing that he went through when he shed his blood. The eternal spirit of God, the God spirit was there with him going through the whole thing, helping him to achieve that so that we could have new life, be cleansed from our sins, that we could have a clean conscience to serve God. And from him... uh, you have received the conviction of sin. In John chapter 16, verse 8, he says when, the, when he comes and he talks about the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. And I wanna, We've talked about this before. We've talked about the sense of The thing that the Holy Spirit does, how do you know that God is speaking to you? How can I tell it's God's voice speaking to you? We know that our conscience, we all have a conscience that testifies whether it's right or wrong. That is like the candle of the Lord and the Holy Spirit begins to work on your conscience to tell you that you're not in the right place. You've got to know that you're not in the right place so you can get out of the wrong place to get into the right place. So you've got to know that you're bad to, 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 to ask God to help you to be good, you know. If you don't know that you're bad, you don't know you're doing anything wrong. If you don't, You're sinning, you don't know you've done anything wrong. You can't do anything about it. So the Holy Spirit comes and he says, the first thing I'm going to do, he says, I'm going to talk to every one of you and you will have all, if you're a believer today, you will have all felt this. And if you're not a believer today, you'll probably feel this as you're going along. You will feel like there's a weight of guilt in your life. Guilt. Like you have broken some serious rules. Somehow you... you, whether it was telling lies, whether it was stealing, whether it was committing adultery, whether it was uh, sexual immorality, whether it was coveting your neighbor's goods or your neighbor's wife, whether it was uh, dishonoring God and swearing in his name, taking his name, you will have a sense in your life of a great debt before God, like like you've got serious problems. If you were to die now and face God, you know you're not in the right place. Now, who tells you that? Where do you get that from? I mean, you're just born, you just go up, and you do some bad things, and all of a sudden you're aware of it. How did you get aware of it? I mean, you know, if you're an evolving animal, you just bark like a dog, do what you like, and just go on with life. You know, well, you don't sit and see a dog sitting in the corner feeling guilty for its sin. It's probably scared that you might boot it because it's not what you want to do, but it doesn't feel guilty for it. He'll just do it again if it can. We get like animals after we keep on doing the wrong thing all the time, all the time, all the time, all the time. We keep on hardening our hearts. Stop listening to the Holy Spirit. Stop listening. Stop listening. We just keep on doing the wrong thing. And later on we say, why is it wrong? Why is it wrong? Because we've hardened our heart. So when the Holy Spirit comes, it says he's going to convict. He's going to refute. He's going to confute. He, He will generally, it says he suggests of the shame that a person convicted. He'll make you feel ashamed. That's just something inside happens, and you say, "Who's making me feel ashamed? Why cannot I just say it's okay to do it and get away with it? Why do I have to have guilt? Because God is here; He loves you, and He's speaking to you. He communicates that guilt. He tells you it's your fault." He tells you and he wants to change you and correct you. He's not sitting there saying, You rotten individual. You just need to be kicked in the guts because you're a lola. That's condemnation. He's not condemning and putting you down he's saying look you're in the wrong place you get need to get in the right place let me correct you with a word let me correct you with a deed let me somehow help you change so I want to provide a way for you and Jesus came he he went through life he died on the cross and he paid the price for your sins so that you could have acceptance before God he took the punishment for your sins on the cross so that you could have some sort of a, a peace with God now, if you accept that and you accept that God has done that for you, he says, look, come to me, say you're sorry, accept what I've done and I'll make it right. I'll take your sins away. I'll take it all away from you. So the Holy Spirit is involved in salvation. He's involved in, in Jesus' work at, to go to the cross and he's involved in our work in actually understanding that we've done the wrong thing. He's involved in the whole process. He speaks to us every day. You hear him and, he, and you know him. And if... You have been saved. You have heard his conviction. You know his voice. Say with me, I know his voice. I know his voice, his voice. Say it again. I know his voice. Are you guessing at it? You're just guessing at it? Or maybe I know his voice. It's just, you know his voice. You know his voice. There's no question about it. When he puts his finger into your heart and he says to you, this is not right, you can't escape it, you've been pinned, it's in here that you feel it, straight away you know his voice. And he wants to fill your life, to empower you and enable you to be all that God wants you to be. That's the wonderful thing, he's not just there to make you feel guilty. He's not just there to make you feel like you're a low life and you haven't made the grade and you there's a debt coming and you're going to be punished because of your sin I mean that's all important I mean you know you need to know that you've messed up an individual needs to know that there's a problem so they can get the solution if you never know that there's a problem you'll never go for the solution. We've got lots of broken lives in this world, but nobody's ever saying, you know, what our society is saying. Well, no, no, well, you know, there are no morals anymore. You can do whatever you like. Just don't hurt anybody. And we're running around now. The society is full of people who've got loaded down with guilt and shame because they've done all the wrong things because somebody told them it was okay to do it, you know. You could do it if you want, whatever you want, you know. Look at the TV. They all do it. The pop stars do it. The movie stars do it. Everybody does it, whatever you do it you did it and you did it you, you know what and you're sitting there i wish i'd never done that now i feel so bad that i did that the holy spirit says you know don't listen to what the world says i'm telling you you shouldn't do that there's a moral here there's a standard here you break the moral you break the standard you understand that you're going to face me one day you're going to give the count when you die you're not going to live forever you're going to die and face god one day and you have to explain to me why you did what you did when you knew you shouldn't have done that and the world says don't believe it there's nothing when you die But your heart tells you that you have an account before God when you die. You can't just say, well, I'm going to go to my grave and it'll all be black. Nothing sits well with you there like that. You know his voice. He speaks to you. You know him. You hear him. And your heart will not let you go to the grave without trying to fix it up. Because God wants you to fix it up because there is a real heaven and there is a real hell. You can't escape that. And he wants you to go to heaven and he wants you to go to heaven not by the skin of your teeth. He wants you to go to heaven and pound to do the right thing full of his spirit. It's not just he wants you to know that you did the wrong thing. He wants to fill you with himself so that you can be right and do the right thing. The Old Testament men and women knew when God moved on them. They just knew. You, you, you couldn't convince. Take, for instance, Samuel or Gideon. I mean, you couldn't convince him that when the Holy Spirit came upon Gideon that uh, he, he couldn't do what he was going to do. I mean, he trimmed down his arm and he only got 300 left. And when the Holy Spirit ca- came upon him, it says there in Judges 6.34, he clothed himself with Gideon. It's like he wrapped Gideon around him you know the Holy Spirit says come on Gideon he's like picking up Gideon and says wraps him around let's do this it's like Gideon, Gideon are you sure you know, are you sure you heard from God Gideon says what <laughs> he's wrapped him, me around him and I'm blowing the trumpet now you know and he, he produced this incredible victory not because Gideon was great because the Holy Spirit wrapped Gideon around himself you couldn't convince Gideon that the Holy Spirit wasn't there he, he wouldn't say I guess he is I suppose maybe he's speaking to me he knew he was speaking to him. He knew what God wanted him to do. Take, for instance, Samson. Samson's facing a, a, a lion. A lion's roaring at Samson. What does he do? The Bible says, Then the Spirit of the Lord came and rushed mightily upon him, and he, he rent, tore it apart as if he would have a, rent a kid. Now, we, we saw it in the news just this week. Uh, some guy took a wrench, and, and a, a, a dog was attacking a child in a stroller in Melbourne, I think it was. Was it Melbourne? or? One of those. One. Of, did you remember that? Well, anyway, take it that it happened. I read it, the news article, and um, he stopped his car. He, he picked up the wrench and he went to this dog and pulled this dog out of the the, the front of the, um, the pram. It had mauled the baby's face, and he pulled it out and he was hitting it. He was hitting it with the wrench, making noise like that. And he said it, the wrench had no power over the dog. He said it was, the dog was like it was possessed. So I mean, here we have. Samson, and the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him mightily. He rushes up to this lion, not just a dog, and he rips the thing apart. Just pulls it apart as if he was ripping a tender little kid apart, a little goat. You can't say to Samson, Samson, are you sure that the Holy Spirit was actually um, on you at that point in time? You know, uh, did you? Well, I guess he was. Maybe he was. Samson knew that what he had done Was under the power of God's Holy Spirit He just knew it How could you do that? How could you rip a line apart like that? He knew it He take Saul for instance Saul is another one He was uh, anointed with oil To be king He was the first king that Israel wanted And, um, and uh, they, uh, Sam, uh, Samuel said to him "Well, Come over here and I'll anoint you with oil And so he was anointed with oil And, and um when the Holy Spirit came onto him, it changed his heart, changed him into a new man. Had a complete change. This is what he said in Samuel, First Samuel 10, verses 6 to 10. And when the Spirit of the Lord came on Saul, he prophesied and was turned into another man. He so changed. When the Holy Spirit came onto his life, he so changed. In verse 9 it says, And he was, it was so that when he had turned his back to go to Samuel, from Samuel, God gave him another heart. He changed his heart. You know, it, that, wouldn't that be lovely, you know? You could say to Saul, Saul, what's happened now? I mean, you've just been anointed with oil. You just left Samuel. What happened? Mate, I just feel like a new man. Are you sure? I mean, I guess I am. M- maybe I am. Now, well, what happened? He began to prophesy. Like he stood up and said, the Lord only started to prophesy like he was a, a prophet. You, you couldn't say to him, maybe, or maybe have a guess about it. He knew that something had changed in him. He knew because the Holy Spirit had touched him. So when the Holy Spirit does the work in your life, there's no guesswork, no maybe or perhaps, it's a definite. Think about that. When the Holy Spirit does the work in your life, there's no, it's no guesswork in it. It's no maybe. It is a definite, an absolute. You you may you may dodge it, you may question it, you may undermine it, you may walk away from it, but you cannot avoid it. It's a definite. It's like an absolute. It's like. The minute the Holy Spirit says, you need to do something, the minute he says that, the minute he puts his finger on something on your life, the minute he says something to you, immediately you know it, you can do whatever you like, but you cannot deny it. It's like a fax is coming down, bang, the fax has arrived. You pick it up, you read the fax, straight away it's there. The email is just coming through the door. You open it up and bang, the information is on the page. You cannot deny that it's there. You can, you can turn the TV off, you can turn it around, you can put it underneath a mat, you can do anything you like, but you cannot deny that you received it. You got it. It was real. You can't guess at it. It's not a maybe. It's an absolute, it's an affirmative. God is in your life in a very definite way, in a very specific way. And this is a spiritual community because God is actively working in our lives every single day. James Bamford listens to God every day. He sometimes does what he says and he sometimes doesn't. But he listens and he hears God every day. Every one of you are the same. You hear God speak to you every day. You may do what he says or you may not do what he says, but you can't deny it. You may ignore it. You may pretend it's not God. But God speaks and when he speaks, it's a definite. John the Baptist needed to know that Jesus was the son of God. And so when he was baptizing people in the water, Jesus said, Jesus is coming toward him. He sees Jesus and he sees the Holy Spirit descending on the form of a dove to land upon Jesus. And, and, it, and he says, you know, this is what God told me. He says, when you see this mount, one approaching and the Holy Spirit comes and, and descends upon him like a dove, this is the Lamb of God who's going to take away the sins of the world. You know, God wanted John to be certain about something. So he used the Holy Spirit to make it known to him that this is for certainty the one. God is in the same business too. He will make it clear to you, so that you know absolutely that this is the way. In three different places in the Bible, when the sound of the Holy Spirit came upon them, <clears throat> we see that the, the um, there was the speaking in tongues, like an evidence of of something strange happening. In the in the first case at Pentecost, we see flames of fire and the wind rushing through the place. You know, and the people are just astounded. They 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 Something's happening in this place. They were certain that something was happening in this place because they saw something physically. And then when you look through the book of Acts and you see it in three different places, whenever the Holy Spirit filled them, people would, in three different places, people spoke in tongues. In one other place, The whole place was shaking like an earth was shaking the place. And then they all got up and they all started to preach and and speak the word of God with boldness. They had this incredible boldness that came upon them. In another place in Acts chapter 8, Simon, who was the sorcerer in that local area, he saw all the miracles that were happening and he was so, so impressed with what was going on. When it got time to get saved, he got baptized and got saved. And then he saw uh, some of the ones laying their hands on people and and, and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. And he says, I want some of that because I, I want that power. And so he offered the money so that he could get the power he saw something oh, he got rebuked for that because that wasn't the thing you can't buy this you can't get this you can't buy it. you can't you know, get online and and send your your uh your sixty thousand dollars or your six dollars or and get a, a bit of cloth that's got the holy spirit on it and you'll thin it to you. and when you got it you can put it on your head and you got the holy spirit on you you know no 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 this is not this garbage the holy spirit is here he'll make himself known to you And you'll be aware of it with a certainty. Ezekiel chapter 36 tells us these things. This is what was prophesied in the Old Testament. It says, I will give you a new heart and I'll put a new spirit within you. I will take away the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. That's what Ezekiel prophesied. You know, how many of us have got through life and we've become hard now? Everything inside of us has become calloused. We've been so hurt. We've hurt and we've been hurt. And we just don't trust anymore. We just don't want anybody in our lives that's going to hurt us anymore. We just don't want anybody around us. We keep everybody at a distance. Why? Because of the pain. Because of the hurt. In fact, the heart of flesh has become a heart of stone. You know what? Whatever. You know what? Talk to somebody who really cares. You know what? Speak to the hand. We are that hard. And God by his Holy Spirit says to us, you know what? I want to take the hardness out and put in a heart of flesh to make you feel again. A new spirit. A new person. Will you be vulnerable? Yeah, you might be vulnerable, but you'll have God in the inside and that's pretty powerful. It swallows up all the vulnerability. We're told in the in the New Testament, and this is a beautiful passage of Scripture, Paul commands us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians chapter five, verse eight says, And do not be drunk with wine wherein there's excess and you know So the word drunk is being filled with wine. Do not be drunk with wine or alcohol or anything that will make you intoxicated. He says, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, that, <clears throat> I would say that that was most, probably one of the most powerful scriptures in the whole Bible. And why? Well, when you go to the Greek, you, f- you understand exactly what's being said there. In the Greek, the word for being filled is the word plero. And in the Greek tense, you know, Greek, we have three tenses. What are the three tenses in English? Past, present, and future. So it's pretty simple for us. Uh, how many tenses do you have in the Philippine dialogue? I think there's about seven or eight, isn't there? There's a huge number. That was one of the problems we had in learning here. To learn one word, you could learn it about seven or eight different ways of saying it, and they're all different tenses. Greek's a bit like uh, the Filipino dialect. You know, it, it has different tenses. And the tense for this one is called the present passive imperative. Everybody say present passive imperative. That was just to keep you awake. (laughs) Say it again like you mean it. Like what, meaning what? (laughs) Well, what does it mean? Well, present means it's not just be filled like in the past then, like be filled, you know, when you get saved, be filled. No, when it's present, it means it's a state of ongoing being filled, a continuous state, so it's be being filled. So if I, the person who gave me this drink filled the drink with cordial. So that's filled, be filled. If I'm putting this in a present tense, I'm going to pour the, the, the cordial in there and I'm not going to stop pouring it. I'm going to keep on pouring it in there. I'm going to keep on pouring it until it's overflowing. And then when it's overflowing, I'm not going to stop. I'm going to keep on pouring it in there. That's, that's just be being filled. Always, continuously, never stopping, be being filled. So that's what it says. not past tense, it's present tense. It's present and it's passive because it's saying that the, the person who's being filled is you. So you are the vessel and the Holy Spirit is filling you, continuously filling you. And you are being filled continuously. You are the person. And it's, it's also imperative. And the imperative is, is a scary thing because this is what makes it so powerful. It's not an invitation, like a Phoebe, would you please, could you? would you like to be filled with the Holy Spirit? You know, like an invitation. You know, it's up to you. You decide. No, in the Greek it says, no, this is not an invitation. This is an absolute command requiring. So what he's actually saying to you, he's saying to you, is this is what you have to be doing all the time. Be being filled with us, and this is not optional. This is a command. This is a necessity. You need to be doing this continuously. Well, what makes that important? I mean, what, well, what's the difference, Mark? I mean, a walk around feeling guilty all the time. What are you, what are you, what are you talking here? What is being being filled for James Banford? What is B being filled for for Phoebe? What's B being filled for Mike? What, what is this? You know, what does it mean to be B be being filled all the time, every day, filling yourself up with the Holy Spirit? Well, we're we're told a little bit more about what it is to be filled. It says it's to make full, to fill up, to fill up to full, to abound, to furnish, to render full, to complete, to fill to the top, to the brim, to overflow. So we know that. So what does it mean though? Well, how do you do that? I mean, there's no point in us talking about something if there's no sense of how can you do that? The stupidest thing in Christianity is, is people standing at the front there telling you what to do, and then you say, But yeah, how do you actually do that? I mean, there's a gap between being able to do a thing and being told to do it. You know, it's like, like if I told you to go and put a noggin in, and you'd sit there and think, You know, if you have no understanding of what I'm talking about, you wouldn't have a clue of what I meant by go and put a noggin in. I'd say, It's, a, it's an imperative command. You know, the building will not stand unless it has noggins. Go and put a noggin in. And you, you'd say, I want to do it. I, I want to do it, but I don't know what to do. And that's the nonsense that we have in church sometimes. Ministers stand up front and they say to you, oh, this is what you have to do. You have to do it. Be filled with the Spirit. And you know, you sit down and you think, be filled with the Spirit. What does that actually mean? How do you actually apply that? How do you actually do that on a daily basis? How do you actually live, be being filled with the Holy? How does James Bamford take this home and put this into practice next week? And if I go and tell James how to do this, well, then James sits there and says, I haven't a clue. I hear the words that you're saying, but I don't understand what you're saying. I don't know how to put this into practice. And really, if you don't know what to do when you leave this place, I've failed and God's failed because you haven't been communicated properly. So what is be being filled with a spirit? What does it look like on a daily basis? What does it look like when we walk through life? How will Phoebe take this lesson and move with this lesson and move on? Let's have a look at what it says in the scripture. Be being filled is a figurative statement. It's not, we know it's not literal. Because the Holy Spirit is a person, not a liquid. So while I could say about this bottle, I could say, be being filled with cordial, and be be continually filled with cordial, and walk around and have an endless supply of cordial coming out everywhere. Um, That would be, okay, be being filled with cordial. If you're drinking alcohol and you're being filled with alcohol, you're getting drunk and you're under the influence of the alcohol, hey. But that's literal. This is figurative. There's a difference between a figurative word and a literal word. A literal word means that you do it literally literally. When a word is given in a figure, you have to understand it in the figure. You have to try and understand it differently because it's not saying literally that the Holy Spirit is gonna come like God and He's gonna come into your head. And we hear this in churches, he's gonna pour fill, 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 fill! Whoa, he's overflowing there. You're gonna get drunk with the spirit, you know, oh yeah, I've got the Holy Spirit on me. You know, and they walk, and you see that nutty stuff. You see that crazy stuff in lots of churches. You see them wandering around, falling over, and they can't even, they're barking like dogs. They can't say, and you say, what's going on? They say, oh, it's the Holy Spirit. I'm drunk with the Holy Spirit. Why? They think it's literal. But the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. So how can you lose self-control being under the power of the Holy Spirit? It's impossible because it's not His character to do that. So, what does it mean to be being filled with the Holy Spirit on a daily basis continuously? How can you do that? Well, I hope, this un- I hope you can understand it. Here we go. Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, it says, If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Uh, again, here it is, it's still vague. If you live in the Spirit as, it's, as if Jesus has made you alive by the Spirit, then also keep, on, keep step with him, you know, walk with him. But what does it mean? How do you do that? Well, it says, Woos, he's a guy, or well, I call him Woos, but some people call him West. I don't know how you pronounce it. I've heard both, but it doesn't matter. He's a, he's a Greek linguistic man. He knows his Greek. He says, in the view of the fact that you have been sustained by spiritual life, by the Spirit, the means of the Spirit, let us now go on ordering our conduct. And then he says these words. The word Spirit, referring here to the Holy Spirit, is in the locative of sphere. That's one of those crazy Greek things that we would never have known if you studied. Now, the locative of sphere is another language thing that happens in the Greek. When they, when they give you something, they say, this is in this locative of sphere. That means it's, it's in the sphere of something. And could be charted by a dot in a circle. Now what on earth does that mean? Sorry, what you got? Here we have a dot in the middle of a circle. What does that mean? Well, you are the dot. And the circle is the Holy Spirit. So whatever you do in your life, whenever you walk to be being filled with the Holy Spirit, is to recognize that you're in the center of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is around about you all the way, all the time. Well, what does that mean? Now, how does James Bamford take that to school on Monday? Watch out, don't come near me. i got the sphere around me. Whoa, watch that sphere. Oh, my sphere's bumping into your sphere. <laughs> Bubble man everywhere. What does it mean? Well, this is what it means. The dot is in sphered with the circle, within the circle. The excitation is there. therefore is. Be constantly conducting yourself in the sphere of the Spirit. Now, what does that mean? Here it is in plain English. That is determine every thought, every word and deed by the leading of the Holy Spirit. So before you think a thing, say, God, do you want me to think that? Before you say a word, you say, Holy Spirit, is that the right word for me to say? Before you do anything, say, God, is that what you really want me to do? Oh, now James Bamford can take that home because he can take that home and he can sit down and he can think, you know what? Mum's asked me to do such and such and such. I don't know what she'd ask him to do, but maybe mow the grass in the backyard. Mum's asked me to mow the grass in the backyard. Well, that's pretty hard. I'm not going to do that. You know, and she'll decide not to go. He might decide not to do that. He's got to now think, now, you know, I know the Bible and the Bible says, children obey your parents. Well, that's going to be hard. I mean, mum, obviously, when she said mow the back lawn, she, she wasn't looking straight because it's, it's just a terrace of, of rocks. How can you mow that? So he's going to think now, God, what do you want me to do here? And he might say, you know, go and talk to your mum about it. Are you all right, mum? Are you having daydreams? Or what do you want me to do, pull out the weeds? See, so he's going to actually not going to say, oh, forget it. He's going to actually say, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do about that? What do you want me to think about that? What do you want me to feel about that? Phoebe may be going home and there might be time and mum's just gone out to do some washing or something and she might say, there's a a show on the TV I want to see but mum said, I can't watch that TV show but I'm going to watch it while she's out. Now, if she was walking in the sphere of the Spirit, what she would recognize, and she should being filled with the Holy Spirit the whole time, she would recognize as she's conducting herself, her thought, the, the thought to watch the TV while her mother was out doing something else, would have to be challenged. It would be challenged by saying, okay, you know, is that what the Holy Spirit really wants me to do? And then, you know, because the Holy Spirit, the conscience would say, oh, you shouldn't do that. And you think, oh, Holy Spirit, you're here with me right now. Here you are with me right now. You don't want me to do that? I don't think I'll do that. I'll, I'll just think I'll just turn that off now and I won't actually go there because that's not what the Holy Spirit... That's conducting yourself in the sphere of the Spirit. That's walking in the Spirit. That's being being filled continuously. You say, well, Mark, I wouldn't achieve anything in life. I'd be just too scared to do anything. Yeah, you would have to actually change the way you live, wouldn't you? That's my point exactly. How could you keep on doing the things that you're doing if you're living by the Spirit? If the Holy Spirit was present with you and he was in control of your life and he was controlling your life, you wouldn't do some of the things you were doing, right? You'd actually stop some of And you would do other things. You would do other things that you would probably not do. You'd think, oh, well, there's an idea that just dropped into my head. I think I'll just go and ring up so-and-so and encourage them in the Lord. Well, where did that come from? Oh, silly me. It was just me. No, the world says it's just you. No, it's not just you. It's the Holy Spirit. You're living in the sphere of the Holy Spirit. And your conduct and your thoughts and your words now being challenged by the Holy Spirit. And you are to listen to him and change your conduct and your behavior and your thoughts and your speech to conform with him. You know what we do? We think, okay, the Holy Spirit's not going with When we come here, there's this lovely place, we feel the music, and the music, and the feeling, and the the thing we feel here is the Holy Spirit. No, 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 no. You came in with the Holy Spirit, and when you go out, tomorrow, when you wake up in the morning, even before you get to tomorrow, before you wake up in the morning, you will feel the Holy Spirit speak to you, and He'll say, you know, don't do that, do this. He'll actually give you a directive, and you'll find out whether you're willing to be being filled with the Holy Spirit or whether you're willing to play church. You know the church game? It's like, go out there, live like the world, say, say a dozen Hail Marys and then come back in after you've done all the wrong things you know, and think you're okay now. You know, Whatever it is. It's like you somehow pay for the wrong things you do rather than live right. And God says, I didn't plan for you to do the wrong thing, I planned for you to live right. Look what it says in um, Romans. Romans. Romans chapter 8, verse 13 says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. You did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of adoption, who, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The word Abba, Father is Daddy. We cry out to God, Daddy. It's like the Spirit of God within us making us children of God, adopted children of God. It's like our Father is speaking to us. And the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. I want you to understand something here. Once you have asked God to forgive you of your sins, you've accepted by faith what Jesus did on the cross, and you've said to him, I want to follow you now. Just lead me by your Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes and takes up residence within you. So he lives within you. You have entered into the sphere, the bubble of the walk in the spirit. He fills you there now. He says, I want to fill your whole life. He says, now I'm going to teach you how to live right, how to walk right. And the devil comes along and says, you know, why don't you come and do this thing? And then immediately in here we get the sense like no, we shouldn't be doing that. And the Holy Spirit, if we're listening to the Holy Spirit, we'll go a different way. We'll go a different direction. We'll do different things. And we will know with a certainty, an absolute certainty that we are God's children. You, know, you might ask yourself the question... Do you have a feeling on the inside that you know with a certainty that you belong to God? Does your spirit bear witness with his spirit that you're a child of God? You're sitting there saying, oh, maybe he is. I hope I am. I'm not real sure about this. Or do you just know that you know that you know that you are? You know what causes us uh, problems? I think the thing that causes us problems is we so live so inconsistently, inconsistently at times that we begin to doubt whether we've even been born of God. We're like the son, the prodigal son, who's with the father and we're happy with the father for a little while and then we run off into the world and we go and drink and we have our fun and we're in the world. We should really go back there, but you know, I'm having some fun here. We're still a son. We're still a daughter. We're still in, the, we're still in this place. But we forget our identity and we're having fun there. You know, we've got to come to our senses and come back to God, you know, and recognize we get confused back then. We get confused of who we are. You start doing the things that the world does, and in the end you start scratching your head. What makes you, what makes you different to the world? You know, there's not any notable difference any longer. There's, there's, you know, you're just like everybody else, you know. I think you preached on that last week, didn't you? But what makes you so different? Well, I'll tell you what makes you so different. It's living in the sphere of the Holy Spirit, walking with the Spirit, talking with the Spirit going to make you very different. You're going to know you're different, and you can know that he is going to make you different. You know, in 1 um, in Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12, it says, And now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit of who is from God, that we might know. Everybody say, no. Might know. No, I might guess at or well, you guess at, eh? Hey? We will have a guess at it. If you ever sit down and watch, you know, win a million dollars, you know, they come to the last question. this is a big question. You've got three choices here. You've used up all your things, you've got to give the right answer now. You'd want to know it, wouldn't you? You'd want to know it because it would give you the million bucks. You don't want to guess at it. Well, what's Christianity for you? Is something you're guessing at? What's your identity as a Christian? Is something you're guessing at? Or is there something that you know? You know it's just, he gives us the Holy Spirit that we can know with a certainty. The point is that you can know with a certainty. You don't have to be guessing at this. You can, if you don't know with a certainty, get on your knees until you can get up and have a knowledge of certainty. I'm serious. If you're just saying, oh, I'm not sure whether I am or not, get on your knees and start seeking God until you can get up on your knees and say, I know I'm born of God. I'm serious, there's no point in just fooling around There's so many people fooling around in church Pretending that they're Christians But really they're not They're just playing games Because it's a nice cool uh, group to hang out The guys come and hang out here Because it's clean meat in this place <laughs> You know, they, don't, they just want to just hang out Because it's a, it's a, it's a nice little club We're not talking You've got to know that you're saved You've got to know that you're a child of God If you don't know that you're, you I can't make you know that I can't say, yes, you are, you are, you are, you are, you are, you are. Don't worry about it. If you don't know it, don't guess at it. Get on your knees and start crying, God, help me know this. So that it's a firm conviction, I am a child of God. And when you are a child of God, ask him to fill you with his Holy Spirit. So fill that that you'll never forget it. We can know the voice of the Spirit of Jesus with a certainty. Absolutely. Like Renee can go from this place today and she can go out on Monday and God can speak to her heart and she can know with a certainty God just spoke to her to do something. She can go and do it and it may not work and it may work, but she can know with a confidence that God spoke her to do that thing and she can follow that lead. You can can know that with a certainty. Why? Look what Jesus said. In John chapter 10, verses 14 to 16, I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and I am known by my own. Okay, now I know that he's talking about the Jews there. Jesus says, I am this good shepherd. He came for the Jews. These are the Jews' sheep. And this Jewish sheep know his voice. And other sheep I will have which are not of this fold, he says in verse. That was. That's one. That's this one. He says, Another sheep I have which are not of this fold. Them I will also bring, I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. We're, we're told that we will know his voice. Look in verse 10, uh, chapter 10, verses 3, 4, and 5. It says there, To him the doorkeeper opens the, the uh, and, the, and the sheep hear his voice And he calls his own sheep by name And they lead them out Now shepherding in the in the Middle East Is different to shepherding in Australia In Australia we get on motorbikes And get dogs and horses And we round them up And we, we herd them in You know And we drive them in The sheep doesn't have to know the shepherd He just has to get out of the way The dogs are coming to bite him The shepherds kind of round them up And they drive them into a fold Or they drive them into the into the, into the in the Middle East, it wasn't like that. They had all the sheep come down and they had a big stone fold, which is the thing where they had a, one door in the front. It was a big stone wall. And they put all the shepherds, brought all the sheep into there. They, 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 all the sheep now mixed up. They all look, nah, nah. everybody's, they're all mixed up. Oh, I didn't tag mine. Well, you didn't have to tag them. In the Middle East, no one tags their sheep. You know, the shepherd has this personal relationship with every one of his sheep. So he's got the sheep there, they're all in the fold, and they light a fire in the front door. You know, Now they can go home and be happy. They don't have to worry about the sheep all night because the sheep are in the fold. Okay, they're safe. There's no wolf going to come, and there's nobody going to come and steal. They would have to climb over the wall. They can't come through the door because they lit a fire in the doorway. So anyways, in the morning, the shepherd comes down and he says, come on, sheep, sheepy, 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 sheepy. sheepy. And off he goes, call the sheep, and the sheep, ah, oh, that's my shepherd. And he he starts walking away, and as he's walking away, his sheep follow him because they know his voice. Jesus is using this as a picture of what it is to be one of his sheep. He says, you will know my voice. There's a certainty about that. It's not, I hope I know his voice. You will know his voice. He'll say, come on now, you've got to come with me, Linda. Come on, Linda. And you'll go, bleep, bleep, that's Jesus calling my name, and off I'm going. Linda's running now after Jesus. Why? Because Linda knows Jesus' voice. She's acquainted with Jesus. She knows Jesus' voice. She knows when he speaks. He doesn't speak. She knows for a certainty it's him, and she will follow him. And they won't. He won't follow. She won't follow a stranger. If somebody says, "Oh, Linda, why don't you come this way?" You know what will happen, and Linda, she's saying, "Oh, that sounds a bit weird to me. I don't think I'll go there," because she knows the voice of the shepherd and she knows the voice of a stranger, and she won't go there. And Jesus says, "Yes." I'm going to lead my sheep and they will know me. That's the certainty. I like that about that. Look at 14, chapter 14, verse 16 to 18. And I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and he will be in you. Now, I like that. Because everybody here who's born of the Spirit of God, who has Jesus in their heart, will know his voice. I can die tomorrow. It's okay. I can die this afternoon. It's okay. I can pass away from this earth. It's okay. You know why it's okay? Because you're not here because I'm the shepherd. You're here because Jesus is the shepherd. And even if I die before I finish the sermon, the shepherd will look after his sheep. And you know his voice And you hear his voice. And that's a certainty. Are you aware of that? Do you have that confidence? Do you have that certainty? Do you have that personal relationship with Jesus, the shepherd? Does his spirit dwell within you? Does he speak to you and tell you of the things of Jesus and you hear him and you know him? Does he sp- does He speak to your conscience? Does he let you know what to do, what not to do, and you hear him and you know him? Are you aware of what's going on? You know, the world, the flesh, and the devil will tell you know, it's all in your head. There's no spiritual life, you know. It's all here and now. Just live it up for the day. You know, have a fun. Have fun today and tomorrow, you know, you never know what will happen to live. Eat, eat drink, and be merry for tomorrow you might be dead. Yeah, He says, there's no demons and there's no angels, there's no Satan, there's no heaven, there's no hell. There's no Holy Spirit. That's what the world would say to you. But you know what? You know him. And all of that garbage doesn't wash with you because you heard his voice. He's spoken to your heart and he lives inside of you. Now everything in this world is going to try and get you to dismiss that. Trying to get you to walk out of that sphere of the Holy Spirit. To live somewhere else other than in the bubble with God. Everything in life will try and press around you. Trying to crowd you. So that in all the rough circumstances that you face in life. You're going to feel like you can't hear his voice. You can't see him anymore. He's going to try and block it all out. For The devil's going to try and block it all out. But you know what? He can't get to the Spirit of God. Because the Spirit of God lives inside of you. No matter where you go. He goes with you. He says, I will never leave you, nor will I ever forsake you. Where you may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I shall not fear what man shall do unto me. I will never, ever, ever forsake you. No one shall take you out of my hand, he says. Why? Because the Spirit of Jesus lives in you. Greater is he that lives in you than he that is in the world. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for the fact that this is a spiritual community, a community, Father, that loves you, that loves your ways, that loves the things that you are doing, Father. Lord, I pray, oh God, that you help us, Lord, not to really wrestle with you, Father, because that's just no point. Lord, your word says we hear you. The problem is not hearing, Father. It's the problem is obeying you. Father, I pray that you'll help us to not harden our hearts when the Holy Spirit speaks to us. Lord, that we would do what he says. Lord, that we would not be rebellious, that we would not be willful, but that we would be compliant and we would be being filled continuously, living our words, our speech. Father, our conduct, our behavior, our thoughts, our imagination. Father, would be living in the sphere of your Spirit that we'd be checking everything with you, Lord. We ask that you'd help us to live this way in Jesus' name. Now, as you have your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I'm aware that life, this, this life is rough and tumble, and I'm aware that you know, somehow it gets corroded, and, and in, in our lives we can, we can get that sense of, you know, do I really hear God? Am I really his child? You know, if you've gone to the place where you've, you've come now, where you're doubting everything, you doubt whether you even know God, You've come a long way now in terms of being under that barrage of satanic thought to try and take you, that Jesus away from you. I wanted to give you an opportunity today to freshen that up in your life. Or be being filled. If that's what you're sensing in your spirit, like you're distant from God, you feel like you're distant from God. I mean, He hasn't gone anywhere. You just, you just turn your back, He's still there. And you want to turn around and say, "Lord Jesus, I, I need you in my life again. I need you to fill me again, to overflowing. I want to feel that sense of closeness. If you're feeling distance and you want to feel close, I want you to raise your hand. I want to pray for you today. Okay. Now you see, this is it. You see, Nate, I just, I just put that out there, and you had an opportunity in your heart, a question in your heart, and a prompting in your heart. Did the Holy Spirit prompt you say, "Come to me now, drawn into me"? Did you say, "I don't think I want to," or did you say, "I want to live in the sphere of Your Spirit"? You just received the prompting now. He's here. He's here. I'm going to ask that question one more time. If you felt that you were distant, and you want to make sure that you're close, you want to get close. I want to pray for you. You just raise your hand, and Jesus will touch you. Okay. Put your hands up. Okay. All right. I want those, everybody here can pray this prayer, but especially those who, who are indicated with their hand, I want you to pray this prayer and pray it from your heart. Lord Jesus, I come to you now. I recognize you've been speaking to me. And I want you to come into my life with such force and such vigor that I can't ignore you anymore. Please cleanse my conscience from dead works that I might serve you. Help me to see what you see, to hear what you hear, to want to do what you do. Help me to obey from this day on.